Good morning, everyone. It, it is really great to be back with you, to have my son Matt with me, and uh, to, to kind of reinvigorate our discussion from, from the fall when I was here, and we began talking about prophetic literature. And what, I, what I'd like to do with you, I, I get to be, I hope, to be here the whole month of uh, March with you, and to do a Lenten study with you in the prophet Jeremiah. That's what I had intended to do in the fall. And if you recall, if those uh, who were here, when we, when we started talking about prophetic literature, it became uh, clear, I think, to all of us that maybe we should do a little bit more introductory work of just how to read, how to read the prophets. Because I, I asked a few questions, if you remember, and uh, it, was, it became clear then that there were just a lot of different opinions about how do we read prophets. And so we spent three weeks in the fall generally talking about how to read prophetic literature. And so I'm gonna re- we're, today we're going to review some of that, uh, what we did in the fall. I'm going to give you, we're, we're going to try to get, uh, I was joking with Catherine earlier that those, uh, this is the third time I've been to Vocare, and I've basically, you know, after three times, I've gotten through one series. <laughs> like, that's just, that's the way I roll. <laughs> I am, uh, yeah, my, my academic dean at, at Westminster would always laugh at me about, uh, so you, you taught a course on Ezekiel, but you only got through the first two verses. <laughs> and I would say, but the whole book is in the first two verses. You know, you just have to unpack things. You know, so uh, we'll we'll see how far we get. Uh, so as we as we begin, let's pray together, please. Our Lord and our God, we give you thanks and praise that uh, you have given us your Word. You have given us this remarkable book, Jeremiah. You have given us this remarkable uh, corpus of literature in your Word of the prophets. And in this time of Lent. Uh, Lord, as we humble ourselves, as we remember stories of grace and humility and sacrifice, um, thank you for your word in the prophet Jeremiah, and also as we will also um, in this month explore the gospel of Mark as well and how Jeremiah and Mark uh, speak to one another. Um, Pray for your spirit to guide us through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay, so um, what, what, I, what I'd like to do, as I said, is review a little bit today uh, on uh, what we did in the fall, do a little bit about reading prophetic literature. We talked a lot about the prophets like the, in their humanity, like who, who the prophets were. In the fall, what I'd like to do today is, is think about the books that they've left us. So to begin, just a, whoops, is that going to work? There we go. Um, oops. And frame the whole thing around uh, the, the, um, the story of Lent as I prayed Lent as a, as a time in the Christian calendar when we remember sacrifice, when we remember humility, uh, when we anticipate victory. 
And I think those are the, the main things that I'd like us to see. And I think they are beautifully illustrated in the book of Jeremiah and the gospel of Mark. Next week, uh, I hope my other son, his twin, uh, his twin brother will be here, Joel, uh, if he can get to Philadelphia from Duke um, after that horrible game last night. But let's not even talk about last night, because uh, his mother is from UNC, and uh, I am from Duke, and so there's, we sat on opposite ends of the couch last night, <laughs> and Matt sat between us. <laughs> so um, next week, uh, I hope to give you a little bit of an introduction of how I read um, the entire book of Jeremiah really conversing with the gospel of Mark. Um, and that, that's what I'd like to do and, and draw out a, kind of some Lenten reflections. So this is a time of year, and I don't, I don't know if you follow um, the church calendar or not, but it is a time of year when we, the, the Christian church does remember, humble, and anticipate. Remember, humble, and anticipate. That's the way that I uh, approach Lent. And so what I'd like to do today is um, just review a few main uh, slides, two main slides from the fall to kind of remember what we, what, what we had been talking about. Most kind of generally, though, is what we talked about in the fall there are two approaches to the prophetic literature, and I, I, if, you, if you, those of you who are here recall, uh, I, I shared some of my own stories growing up of, the, of my pastor growing up who would preach from the prophets. He would preach from the prophets, probably like Jason preaches from the prophets when he's mad. You know, that's when you really get, you know, that moral approach or a more storied approach. And that's what we talked about a lot in the fall. Not, not approaching the prophets just about them. You know, Remember we talked about pointing the finger. You, you are so evil and bad and awful. But maybe the prophets were more you know, beckoning. Not pointing the finger, but beckoning. Um, drawing their hearers into a story, a, a story not of judgment and awful. Now, the, the prophets had to do that. They were called to do that. They were called to say, uh, you're not living in line with the story. Remember, we talked about that. You're, the prophets would, would hold up God's will and say, yeah, you're, you're not quite living with the story. But it wasn't, it was beckoning. It was, it was come, come, come back, come, come back to this story, come back to this story of grace, come back to this story of mercy, come back to this story of redemption, come back to this story of promise. Now, uh, we could stop there right now and probably, if, if I just opened it up for discussion, <laughs> I mean, you could all probably tell 30 stories. 50 stories of when the difference between someone pointing the finger at you and beckoning you. 
pointing the finger and saying, ugh, you're terrible, you're awful, you're, oh, I can say it, you're going to hell, or beckoning. You see that? You see that difference? Um, a lot of people approach the prophets. That, hopefully this is reverberating with a little bit that we talked about in the fall. Um, a lot of people approach the prophets with that, oh, the prophets are angry and they're awful. and they're. But, but maybe, and we talked about this, maybe the prophets are beckoning. Maybe the prophets are saying, why don't you come back? Why don't you realign yourself? And as I said, uh, you could probably give me a lot of examples from your own life when someone has pointed the finger at you and been angry. And, you, what, and what do we do as humans when someone does that, generally? We recoil. We, exactly. We get defensive. We say, no. What do we do when someone says, come on, join, join me. Join, come on, let's go. Let's, let's get back. Let's get back. Well, then what do we do? We become thoughtful. Then, then, we, then, we, then we consider. Then we think, hmm, hmm, maybe, maybe I'll get back on the road. Maybe. So, uh, uh, oh, just oh, come, please come back next week. I want to see the room this full at 10.15 next week. It'd be great <laughs> if it's not so cold. <laughs> <laughs> or rainy. It's always, it always rains when I come here. It's not, it, it didn't rain today. It was great. Um, <laughs> Mark. See, that's, that's the great... I'm, I'm teaching a course right now in the Gospel of Mark. I've never taught the Gospel of Mark before. So you're getting like fresh material. I've, I've taught Luke several times. I've never taught Mark before. I'm having a great time teaching Mark. Mark does the same thing. The presentation of our Lord in Mark... And we're, this is what we're going to do next week, is, is not Jesus saying, or Mark presenting Jesus saying, it's, come on, come on, let's go. Hey, come with me. And, and, and you see the difference in the invitation there? So that's uh, the approach that we're going to take um, to Jeremiah and Mark in this Lenten season. So Lent not being a season of pointing the finger, but Lent being a season where our Lord himself beckons, draws us, and says, come with me to the cross and to the empty tomb. Okay, so the threefold approach to the OT prophets that we talked about. Oops. Um, well, actually, let's not do this because, uh, see, I'm already behind. See, I, I just, like, I can't stop being behind. I, welcome, welcome to Vocare. We're 30 minutes behind already. <laughs> um, we talked about in, in the fall, if you remember, the prophets, and so this is as we approach uh, Jeremiah, being, first of all, a, a representative. And we, we tease that out in the fall, saying a lot of times people think of, of the prophets being merely uh, spokes, spokespeople. And in, in general, in the Old Testament, men, uh, spokesmen, you know, people who speak. And what we explored in the fall is something a little bit bigger than that. Uh, the prophets are not just, they don't just speak 
Now they do speak, and we're going to look at that. We're going to unpack that next week um, when we look at Jeremiah one uh, again. We looked at it in the in October. We're going to look at it again uh, next week. Um, they do speak, but they also represent. That was the that was the kind of the word that we that we. Um, landed on is they represent and they represent in, 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 in a whole body. If you recall, we talked about First Timothy 4.12, uh, but you man of God, and we explored that, that when Paul is talking to Timothy, he's speaking in terms that man of God language is a prophetic image that goes back to Elijah. Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for all the believers in life, love, speech, faith, and purity. It's not just speech, in other words. It's your whole life. And, that, and, and we looked at that. And Jeremiah is going to be uh, preeminent in that regard of, of a prophet that is not just speaking but a prophet who is a representative, or as uh, Leslie Newbigin taught us, a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of a kingdom that will come and is coming. A sign, an instrument, and a foretaste. That's what the prophets are. They're representatives. And we talked about the fact that we join the prophets in their ministry, in like ministry, in prophet-like ministry. Talked a lot about, um, well, I I told you a couple stories about my wife uh, in the fall, about the way that she has has reconceived of her life as a pediatrician in an urban setting from just being someone who does medical work to someone who is actually a representative of the kingdom of God in that place at St. Christopher's Hospital for Children in North Philadelphia. And I challenged you in the fall to think about how, how, how might you think, conceive of yourself being a representative in your place in finance or medicine or law or wherever you are? How might you conceive of yourself being a representative of the coming kingdom of God is a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of that kingdom. That's, that's a very uh, much broader, a much more expansive, we'll say, picture of what it means to be a prophet in the Old Testament. Then we talked about, if you remember, uh, we talked about the prophets as interpreters. And this, is the, this was the really fun uh, Sunday that we spent together talking about, and that was, yeah, a few things have changed in our country since I was with you in October. <laughs> um, uh, an interpreter, um, someone who looks at the times, someone who, who looks at what God might be doing, and we talked about the fact that God directs the future. God directs history. And what the prophets do, and and this is what you do in the workplace, 
in, in maybe sometimes for some of you in a small way, for maybe some of you in a, I, I, I don't know, I'd love to know you better. I don't know you well. Maybe some of you have a, have a big voice of interpreting the times, of, of saying, here's what God is doing. God directs history and God's prophets, and again, we sharing in that prophet-like ministry, we share in that interpretation of history. We interpret. We represent. We interpret. And then we uh, spent uh, the last time I was here, we had a very fun time talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in, in communication. The way that we communicate, the, the rhetorical strategies that we use. That is the prophets in their humanity. And as we pr- approach this Lenten season of, of, re- of remembering humility and anticipating, um, I-, I want us to just keep those three components, those, those three aspects of prophetic ministry in our minds. Today what I'd like to do is I'd like to... Um, Look at prophetic literature as literature a little bit, and that's and this is going to uh, this is going to be very important for the way that we think about uh, Jeremiah in the next three weeks and Mark as well, actually, um, because they're well. Oops, that's why. Um, I, well, I should do it that way because it's on video. Um, because the, the prophet Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is not chronological. All right. we, we talked about that in the fall. Um, it, it doesn't give you kind of a blow-by-blow. Uh, first Jeremiah did this, and then he did this, and then it, it, it's not like that. And, and, and neither is the Gospel of Mark. Now that, that might... Now, some of you might go, whoa, 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 I can handle Jeremiah, but Mark? Really? Well, we can look at that if you want to in, in the next uh, couple of weeks. It's nice to be able to spend a month with you because we get to get to know each other a little bit. But, you know, Mark arranges things a little different than Matthew and Luke and certainly John because Mark tells a story. And we're going to get into that next week. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, next week, now, now you're really going to want to come back because I'm going to take on every single commentary in the world and I'm going to give you my own pretty much unique reading <laughs> of, the, of the Gospel of Mark. So are you going to come back? Yeah. Good, okay. <laughs> At least two people will. Good. Okay, so we have two people here. Um, Mark tells a unique story. It is not chronological. That's not what Mark is... That's not what Matthew or Luke or Mark or John are setting out to do. Mark, uh, if I might be so bold, Mark is the Lenten gospel. Um, it, but it, it's Lenten in the way that I just described Lent as being remembrance, humility, and anticipation. And that, that's the way Mark arranges his gospel. Remembrance humility, service, and anticipation. So we'll do that uh, over the next couple weeks. Um, 
When we approach the Old Testament, so now circling back to, to Jeremiah, the, this is a very famous quote uh, by Martin Luther. Um, they, and he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, uh, this is in a commentary on Isaiah. Uh, they, the Old Testament prophets, have a queer way of talking like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of what they are getting at. Now, we, we, we talked about this a little bit in the fall. Isn't that, isn't that the truth in Jeremiah? Honestly, if, we, if we're just honest, we say, you open the book of Jeremiah, you just kind of plop down into the middle of Jeremiah. I, I, I've stopped. Ooh. Now, okay, see, my son is here, and my son is like young and hip and cool and everything, <laughs> and I'm like old and not hip and not cool. So, um, but but I, I feel so proud of myself because... I'm not carrying a Bible anymore. I carry an iPad <laughs> with all my Bibles on my iPad. So now um, I can't, I, but it, it loses some of the punch of some of my illustrations. Uh, if you just pick up the book of Jeremiah and kind of open it to some chapter, you will probably be lost. Remember we did this in the fall. I uh, and we, we're not going to do this again next week, but we just did, if you, if you, some of you will, will remember, the first four verses, the, just the first four verses of the book of Jeremiah, and we began to unpack them a little bit, and within, by the second verse, almost everyone was lost. Because you said, I don't know who that is, who, who's this Hilkiah guy, I don't know, you know, who's the... Who, What's Anatoth? I don't know. I mean, what's Josiah fits in somewhere. That's okay. That's okay. Um, it is confusing. What I'd like to do today is give you a little bit of uh, at least my take on the way that an editor, and some of you may be in publishing, uh, some of you may be editors. Uh, editors, uh, all the writing that I've done, I have needed an editor. Uh, My wife happens to be both a pediatrician, and as Matt and I can both attest, uh, she's also a brilliant editor. Because she'll, oh, let's just just be honest with each other. Um, So, okay, let me be really honest with you. So, So, I had to write so I, I, I resigned from uh, my previous job after 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, I had to write a resume, not a CV. See, my CV is, you know, eight pages. My academic CV, yeah, yeah I got that down, a resume. So I sent, I, I tried to, uh, so I'm like, I got on, I got online, I'm like, hmm, how do you write a resume? You know, and I'm and that's okay. I follow the instructions of how to write a resume. And I sent it to Susan, a, a former student, uh, a brilliant business mind. And I said, could you just like take a look at this resume? And um, it came back with more red ink than black typeset, my ink. And she said, you can't do this. You can't. And I, 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 at first I, I looked at it. I said, oh, 
How dare you touch my resume like that? But then I started thinking, I don't know how, I actually don't know how to write a resume. And she, her, her you know, overarching thing was, this was a great resume for 1988. But <laughs> resumes have changed a little bit in, in 30 years, Mike, so maybe you should listen to me. She was an editor. And she improved, uh, well, she basically rewrote my, my resume for me uh, to make it modern, to make it uh, appealing to contemporary b businesses that would, that would look at me or churches that would look at me. Um, very different than an academic CV. Editors are not evil people. Editors do good things. The prophetic literature is deeply edited. Um, true, true voices of the prophets. I think you know. I mean, my own opinion is, people wrote down or recorded, remembered the prophetic words, but then someone wrote those prophetic words down and arranged them. They edited them, and editing is not a bad thing. Editing is a good thing. For those of us who like, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> For those of us who need, like me, who need editors, editing is a good thing. Um, so let's think about that a little bit. What I'd like to do, uh, probably this is, this will take us uh, pretty much the the rest of the time. There there are four different ways that. We can read prophetic literature, and this is all going to contribute to our reading of Jeremiah as a Lenten piece, and Mark as a Lenten piece. There, there's, first of all, there's a unified reading, uh, reading the whole. We are not very good at this at, in um, evangelical circles, let's just be honest. We like to, generally, we like to read, we like to pick up a verse or two and kind of just piecemeal that verse here or there. Um, this week I was with uh, several incredible people in Colorado Springs and uh, talking about just this thing of reading of how we can encourage the church not to read in piecemeal fashion, but to read in, in whole book fashion. And one of the things that I, I was talking about with these uh, wonderful folks is the prophetic literature. And where this is really helpful oops, to read this way, just in, in, in kind of broad, you know, broad uh, scope, in a, a tripartite, what, what is that? Uh, there are several prophetic books, Zephaniah being probably the, the chief prophetic book in this regard. Uh, Jeremiah, in some respect as well, we can talk about that uh, if you want to, um, that begin with the oracles against Israel or Judah, kind of the oracles against the people of God. And, uh, you're, you're, you know, that, that, that would be more the finger pointing. Um, you are... You, yeah. There's a problem here. But then they never, they never cease there. The prophets also, and Jeremiah, remarkably, 
between chapters uh, 46 and 50 of the, of the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't just say, you, you are missing the mark. Jeremiah then turns and he looks at Egypt and, and well, Babylon at the end, but Egypt and Ammon and Edom, and he says, these nations are missing the mark as well. So first you have the oracles against the people who have the law, but then oracles against the nations as well. And, 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 and so if you just stop there, what, what has a prophet done? A prophet has leveled the playing field completely and said, there is no one righteous, not one. The people who have the story, Israel, and, this is amazing, the people who are not necessarily in the story, they, they, they've not received the revelation they, as well, are, are outside the will of God. Um, we'll look at, uh, in a minute, we'll look at uh, the book of Amos, which is like my favorite book in this regard. Um, Jeremiah does the same thing, chapters 46 through 50. No one is righteous. There's a lot of finger pointing, but the prophets never end with that. There's always a beckoning. There's hope. There is, look, you're, you're outside the story. You are. You're outside the story right now. You're outside of gra- you're just you're outside of grace. You're out, you're outside of God's will um, for Amos particularly. You're outside of God's will for justice. So what does Amos do? Come come on back. That's chapter nine, beginning in verse thirteen. Just come on back, please, please come back. God has built up. God has built up the booth of David again. There's a home. In other words, there's a home for you again. Come back. That's Lent, by the way. That's Lent. Um, We are outside the story in many, many ways, and we need to be reminded, and that's why I think our forebears in the faith have, have factored this into our church calendar. We need to be reminded yearly in our calendar that, that we, we tend to drift outside the story. We tend to drift outside of justice and mercy and love. And Lent is a time of hope. Lent is a time of saying, come on, come. Come on back. Isn't that beautiful? Um, the tripartite books in the, the prophets anticipate all this. They say, uh, Israel, you're not living according to the story. But guess what? Neither is Egypt or Babylon or Ammon or Edom or Moab <laughs> or all these nations that uh, if I asked most of you to put your finger on a map of where Moab is, you'd you might say, Utah, <laughs> you know, Moab, isn't that in Utah or something? <laughs> um, that's okay. The, the point the prophets are making is everyone is outside the story of grace and mercy and justice and love. And what does Yahweh do? Y- Yahweh beckons us back. Okay, that's the, that, that is reading 
a book like Zephaniah or, Zechar or, uh, Zechar Zephaniah or um, Jeremiah as a whole. Another way we can think about this is, and we talked about this briefly in the fall, um, very helpful to read the book of Jeremiah as a, as a unity, kind of a unified reading. Great book by uh, Stulman named, uh, the book is titled Order Amidst Chaos. And uh, Stulman makes uh, an argument here, uh, Louis Stulman, a German uh, scholar, makes an argument that the, that the book of Jeremiah is intentionally chaotic. Now, some of you uh, who are maybe editors for publications, you, you, you might say, that just doesn't make any sense. You can't be intentionally chaotic. Well, what if that's part of the story that you're telling? What if chaos, what if you're modeling chaos for your audience? And Stulman makes the case in this remarkable little book um, that perhaps the book of Jeremiah is, is making the case of chaos just by its very composition, by its very editing, where it, 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 it does seem to be, as we looked at from uh, Luther, uh, the last slide, it does seem to be like Jeremiah seems to be rambling from one thing to the next with no real order in mind. Well, think about a chaotic situation. Think about um, modeling, perhaps, modeling chaos. Maybe that's what Jeremiah is actually doing and saying the entire city is falling apart the promises of God apparently are becoming unraveled. I mean, just think about it. Uh, you know, the, the first four verses of, of uh, the book of Jeremiah, as we looked at in the fall, the first four verses, which are lost to us generally, the first four verses contain the very unraveling of history and every bit of promise that had been given to the people of God in the Old Testament. And within four verses, uh, whoever put the book of Jeremiah together just says, these are the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, you know, and da, 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 da. And then, through the reigns of these kings. And anyone who, who knew that history said, that's when everything went to hell. That's when everything unraveled. That's when we were what? When we were carried into exile. That's when chaos existed. I mean, that's when the city was under siege. Um, we talked about a little bit of siege narrative. I mean, siege in the, in the ancient Near East was a, was a nasty, nasty thing where people died of starvation, of thirst. Here's Jeremiah in this time um, ministering in this complete chaotic situation which raises the question, again, of arrangement. Someone put this together, this book together, and uh, obviously there was not a Lenten season in the time of Jeremiah. I mean, maybe prefiguring a Lenten season, but a, a like Lenten season um, where 
there was remembrance of promise and there was humility, suffering, and there was anticipation of something greater. And someone put this book together in just this way. Look at that in the next couple of weeks. Just one example. We have a couple, just a couple of minutes. Just one example I wanted to end with today, for just for today. Uh, a really fun example of... Um, we didn't do this. Did I do this in the fall? Did we do this from, from Amos in the fall? This is really fun. This is like one of my funnest examples of this, of the way that prophetic literature is put together. And uh, as we'll see in the next three weeks in the book of Jeremiah, drawing, and, and Mark, drawing out a Lenten observance from this. So th- this, is, uh, this is the ancient Near East. Uh, some of you may have uh, suffered through this in undergrad or maybe graduate school. Um, i given many, many, many quizzes uh, on this map to my uh, students at seminaries uh, around the country. Um, this is particularly, uh, these, are the, these are the nations right around uh, the southern and the northern kingdom, so Judah and Israel. So uh, Syria, modern Syria, Ammon, Moab, Edom, Philistia, and Phoenicia. So some of those, were, some of those nations might like, ring some, a, a few bells, like, oh yeah, I've, I think I read that somewhere in the Bible. Well, those nations all exist in Amos chapters 1 and 2. And let, let's just look at this for a minute. Um, so Amos chapters 1 and 2, lots of really fun stuff. There's a lot of similarity in Amos 1 and 2. There's, there's a lot of language of the divine warrior, of fire, of the burning of citadels, of Yahweh coming to these foreign nations. Think with me here for a minute, and I, I, I put the, so this is all from Amos, I put the, the verses up here. It begins with Syria in chapter 1, Oops. chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and it goes from, from Syria to Philistia. Now, the, the, the thing I want to, we have like five minutes, so let's do this quickly. The thing I want to just Think about this with me for a minute. There's all this language in, in Amos chapters 1 and 2 of burning. And, and when the divine warrior comes and burns and brings his fire, there is nothing left behind him. It, it, I mean, it is scorched earth policy. So, so there's no life left behind him. So Amos 1 and Amos chapters 1 and 2 are a series of all of these oracles against foreign nations. And my point here is going to be they are not arranged chronologically. There's something else going on in the, in the arrangement of these oracles. So you begin with Syria, and then you, you go to Philistia. Now, now just, just one minute. Now, if, if you're going to get from Syria to Philistia, what's the fastest way? Right? You go, you go right through there. Well, who, who's here and he, who's here? That's Israel and Judah. That's the northern and the southern kingdom. But, but you, 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 you don't want to burn them yet. And you don't want to go through 
the C. So maybe what you do um, is you go all the way around and you burn all of this all the way around to Philistia. Now, we, we can't burn Ammon or Moab or Edom yet because uh, they're, they're, they're still, they're still going to be prophesied about. So we have to go around Ammon and Moab and Edom. And then where do we go? Well, then we go to 1, 9 and 10 to Phoenicia. So we go up the coast. And then we end up in Edom. But we, we can't get to Ammon or Moab yet. So we go around Ammon. You see what's beginning to happen here? And then where do we go from Edom? I mean, you can look at this. From Edom, we have to go to Ammon. Just the way the text is laid out. But we can't go through Moab because we can't burn Moab yet. So what do we do? Well, we have to go back around and circle back to Ammon. And then what do we do? Then we go to Moab. And now we've got all of our foreign nations taken care of. Who's next? Judah. And you'd think that that's the end. That's it. That's, that's, that's the last. But there's one more, which is the whole point of the book of Amos. The whole point is the northern kingdom, is Israel, is the northern kingdom, Israel. Now, if you think about that, here's Israel sitting here With a, you know, oh, you know, just like fire coming out. Like, what am I going to do now? Where does, where does Israel go? Where, where can Israel go? Nowhere. They're stuck. They're trapped. And the final, um, the final oracle then is against Israel in chapter 2, verses 7 through 16. My, my point here, and we're going to look at this more particularly next week. We need to end in a minute or two. Um, my point here is that someone has taken these oracles that Amos uttered about these foreign nations, and someone has arranged these oracles in such a way as to focus kind of cl- the, the climactic point uh, on Israel, the northern kingdom, in chapter 2, verses 7 through 16. That, that to me, to me, that makes beautiful literature, not in any way not trustworthy. It's beautiful. It's completely trustworthy because it's been edited, because it's been arranged, because, for example, the Gospel of Mark begins not the way that John begins, in the beginning, but the Gospel of Mark begins Hey, R.K., the beginning. This is the beginning of the story. This is the beginning of what I want you to remember. And I want you to remember the sacrifice, the humility of our Lord. And the whole thing turns in, in Mark chapter 8 that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks with Jesus himself saying, I'm going to begin teaching you, my disciples, that I'm going to have to suffer and die. So come with me. Remembering, ultimately, for victory. 
that arrangement does not make it in any way, to my mind at least, does, does not lessen in any way its trustworthiness. It, it enhances it. It says someone has taken great care to tell us this story very, very well. And I believe in, the, in, in Jeremiah and in Mark, as we'll unpack the next three Sundays, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to be with you for three Sundays in a row, actually, um, as we'll begin to unpack in, in Jeremiah and Mark, someone, has be, someone an, an, an editor, a, a, a storyteller, let's call him a storyteller, has arranged these oracles and events from Jeremiah's life and parables, speeches, and events from Jesus' life in such a way for us to remember, to humble, and to anticipate a celebration. Pray. Thank you, our Lord and our God, for your word um, that it is beautiful and so carefully put together. And we pray for this Lenten season that we would remember and humble ourselves and anticipate uh, your victory in which uh, we share in your world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.